0: Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series brought to you by Ozark Institute, an initiative of OncoSpark, a technology-enabled revenue cycle management company, discussing your life as a medical coder, offering tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Wednesday. The barriers for practices and patients due to prior authorizations are a clinical and clerical issue. I wanna thank Oncospark for designing a platform that streamlines and standardizes the authorization process. This optimizes staff and resources while decreasing the time a patient must wait. The platform will seamlessly integrate with your practice management system and electronic medical record, alerting you to expiring authorizations or order changes. AuthParency's reports can be used for internal development as well as payer and pharma accountability. Direct insurance verification and specialty pharmacy hub enrollment are standard modules in the platform, too. So jump on over to AuthParency.com. That's www.authparency.com and get started today with this amazing tool. Hello and welcome to the Life a Coder Podcast. My name is Jennifer McNamara. I am your host today. Our program is brought to you uh, from Ozark Institute. Ozark Institute is an initiative of OncoSpark, a technology-enabled revenue cycle management company. And as always, our goal is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management, as well as tips for work-life balance. And if you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show and thank you for supporting us please follow us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I want to thank all of our listeners over the last five seasons for continuing to support us. Hard to believe we're here in season six. You know, this uh, week is important uh, to think about where we are. We're in the middle of May. We're halfway through 22, where so many changes have happened. So many items in the industry news now about process issues, claims being denied, there's audits, there's fraud, there's so many things going on uh, since the pandemic. And there are things that have been brought to the surface, mainly because of the pandemic, but with things that maybe have existed previously, process errors, are ways of understanding um, how insurance is reimbursed and how documentation should support those services. And I've been in the industry a long time, 20 years, and uh, I've seen a lot of things. I've had a lot of roles in the industry. And so, in an effort to kind of talk about these issues that we're seeing with shortage of staff and practices can't keep up with all of the, all the denials and the, the changes, I wanted to do an episode. So this is episode two of season six. Is your staff up to the challenge? And I really hope the information I present today that I that I talk about in this episode is helpful for you if you are, a, of course, administrative staff, if you are Working in the front office, if you're a physician, if you're someone who works clinically side by side with the physician, to help everyone kind of see the roles everyone plays in making sure that the patient is taken care of. And the business side of medicine has a lot to do with that, doesn't it? So I want to take you back and kind of give you like my story, as I say, when I go back to think about all the roles I've had. And as I talk about my first role back in the day as a receptionist, I was that face, that first person that the patient saw, even the first person that they talked to most of the time, right? Because they call to make an appointment. Maybe they got referred by someone. We had to get that referral sheet. Uh, maybe nowadays we, we get it through a, a portal. We get sent a, a message that comes through and says, hey, this physician wants to refer this patient to you. Has all their demographic information. So you enter the information, you call the patient to schedule that appointment. Or maybe they call you ahead of time, they say, my physician referred me, they're being proactive and they wanna schedule this appointment, it's important to them. One of the first things that we wanna think about too is we wanna see the patient, right? We wanna make sure though, it's important to them to have their service covered. They pay for this insurance policy out of their pocket and they wanna make sure that they're able to use it. And so they may have questions and believe it or not, many patients, if not all of them, don't really understand their benefits. So that's why it's our job as front office staff, the clerical, clinical staff as well, to understand the importance of that coverage. Now, regardless of your clinical or clerical, everyone should be concerned about the patient getting the services that they need. We are in a service industry, whether we are in healthcare or we work in banking or we work in uh, Food service, whatever we do, we're serving a customer, providing a service. Now, it is a service that they need, and it does affect their health, and it is sometimes life-threatening, um, some of the things that they have. So what physicians and providers do can add a better quality of life to someone or even save their life. But at the end of the day, they are providing a service, and they need to be reimbursed for that service. Uh, the patient cannot continue to receive the services they need without someone paying that for that, whether it's the patient or it's in this country, this system we have, this industry, the insurance covering it. And so we have to understand how we all fit into that role. So the patient comes in, they hand you their insurance card, right? You make the appointment. Now, before they come into the office, I want to kind of step back a little bit. It's important to understand how we can be proactive we call the, the insurance. Maybe we have on the phone gathered their information. I always encourage my staff that I manage to make sure uh, that they collect as much information as they can over the phone. Even if it's the patient not being there yet, ask them can you get your insurance card out? Can you repeat to me the numbers and let me know um, all this? Now, most of the time, if you have their date of birth, their ID number, most of the time, our payer portals, we can get the right information. We can get that coverage before they come in, so that's really important. And then sometimes we have these, you know, electronic ways where they can schedule appointments online. They can fill their information out. We can send them to a portal where they can actually do their history and all that kind of stuff. So we can kind of get an idea of of everything before they get it, which is so beneficial. It saves time. The check-in process, it makes things run smoothly. And in our day and age, this technology-driven world, there is no reason we should be using paper anymore for the most part. Uh, but there are some patients who need it because they're not quite that savvy yet, or they just prefer the old-school way of filling paperwork out. So many of you offices may still have that, but as long as you're proactive and you're doing your best to get the right information from the patient and putting that information into the system so that everyone in the office has it now, when they come into the office they hand you their insurance cards, I want to highlight this because this is an error we see so many times. It is not necessary; it can be completely avoidable. We want to get those insurance cards, and I say plural because many patients may forget to hand you all of their insurance cards. So, when you run eligibility, most of the time it's going to tell you if they have additional coverage. So that's a first line of defense. You're going to know ahead of time, hopefully. But if not, They hand you a Medicare card. You can ask them simply, do you have a supplemental coverage with your Medicare? And you can also ask them, do you happen to belong to a replacement plan like Humana or another payer that supplies you coverage through Medicare? You can ask those questions because, you know, you want to make sure you have the right coverage and it goes out to the right payer the first time. Every time we make an error in just clerical issues, it delays the claim payment by quite a few days. And it's not necessary, right? If we have a clean claim going out, the money's coming in faster, and the process is smoother. And we don't have to waste time on unnecessary denials when we can focus on important tasks that need to be performed, right? So that's one thing I want to talk about. When it comes to, to Medicare, of course, we have you know conditions. We have to understand that sometimes they have a reason for having Medicare, but we need to understand what that is because sometimes they're also still employed, right? So they may have other coverage that would be primary to Medicare. So we have to ask them questions maybe or um, facilitate that looking at the eligibility. And then that hopefully will tell us if they've done their coordination of benefits, they've told each insurance company about each other. They know about each other. Then, of course, that's going to be smooth. Now, there may be denials, as we've seen, you know, just for basic things like the patient hasn't done that. So you may get a denial for that. And you need to just call the patient. Take that time. Call them. We had a claim come back, and it looks like it is due to the fact that they're requesting information from you. And there are times when the patient's done that, and they've sent it back, and we just have to call the insurance and verify. Maybe it's just been done and they haven't received it yet. So we put a note in the system, and we just call in a few days just to verify that that's, you know, Medicare pretty much what we need to know at that point in time, right? There are other things down the road that we need to know, but at this point in time, we have their coverage. We know they're covered. Of course, we also want to make sure we are in network and that we are a contract with Medicare, of course. And then we have, of course, Medicaid in many states varies their guidelines and rules and processes. So make sure you're up to date on that. Make sure you're checking eligibility that day. Always, of course, several days in advance, but also the day of their of their visit, things change in a dime. You want to be completely prepared when they come in the office and they come to that window that you know everything about their policy that you can, and that you are you know what, what's going on. You can sound educated, of course, and you can be helpful to them. There may be times where their uh, plan requires that they have a primary care physician, and the eligibility report will tell you that. It'll tell you who it is according to Medicaid. And it'll tell you whether or not they have a copay that they're owed, if they have a certain type of Medicaid. Um, In Arkansas, the state I'm in, where we have to have an official form, and I'm not up to speed on all Medicaid states, but in our state, we have to have a specific form. If they have a PCP on file, uh, Medicaid requires it, then it tells us who it is. We call the office and we ask them to send us over a referral form. Uh, And then that is justification that we have been following the guidelines by Medicaid. And there are times where they say, oh, the patient hasn't seen us. And then we find out where the patient actually hasn't seen that physician. They switched PCPs, but they didn't tell Medicaid. So then the patient's got to call Medicaid and they have to sort that out. So it can be time consuming, but the more advanced notice we can get on that, that piece of things, the better off we're going to be getting that eligibility ahead of time. Now, there are times where the patient calls last minute, you have an emergency situation, you have to have to see them right away. There isn't a whole lot of time to get everything ahead of time, but when they get there. So do your due diligence, explain to the patient all of that information, gather what you can, right? Um, and you want to be proactive and you want them to be comfortable and know that you are a network. And if there are any plans in your area that you know you're not in network with, be proactive and be transparent with your patients. The last thing you want to deal with is a customer service issue complaints, whether it's on social media for your practice, or some other way they're complaining about your practice that you weren't honest with them, and you didn't communicate. And you know, there may be all kinds of reasons why someone complains about a practice, but but uh, being proactive and, and not uh, making it something that you could have avoided, right? So think about those things. And then I also want to talk about commercial payers. You know, there are things to think about there. Um, getting the right copay entered, whether it's specialist or uh, primary care, making sure you have the right copay. And um, making sure they're aware that there are some services that aren't applicable to copay that may fall under their deductible and coinsurance, making sure they understand those things. So these are on a very basic level what a front office staff needs to be aware of. Now, I like spreadsheets personally, so I always educate my staff to make spreadsheets. And when you know you have certain payers, um, does this payer have a coverage guideline on this particular procedure? We know we do E and M's all the time, but we maybe we do procedures that are different for different offices. So we want to be cognizant of that. Figure out which procedure codes that we use regularly that are you know standard to our practice. Make a list of them. We know we build these out all the time. Look at Medicare, Blue Cross for our state. Cigna, Aetna, healthcare all the major payers, do they have a coverage policy on this code? Many payer portals make it so easy for you to, to manage that, and very rarely should you ever have to get on the phone. I like to say we are being paid uh, by our provider, they're our employer, and they expect us to be efficient. Uh, we don't want to waste their time, the hourly rate they're paying us. We should be getting as much done as possible in that time frame. So we don't feel like we're stealing time from our employer. And in essence, if we're wasting time by being on the phone unnecessarily, we could be doing things more efficiently. We want to do so. So Healthcare has ways that you can look up that information. Blue Cross, you type in a code and they will tell you if there's a coverage policy. You read the policy. We know prior authorizations are a huge problem these days. Um, thousands and thousands of dollars are written off unnecessarily by hospitals and physician practices because they have not done their due diligence to verify not only that the code is approved, but that the coverage guidelines are met. So when you have a code approved, for instance, maybe and I'm gonna use graphing as an example, because we do that a lot. We have specific in plastics, we have some procedures that the code itself is approved. But if you don't read that coverage policy to find out that a specific product that is represented by that code is not covered, you can be in for a huge awakening when that is not paid for, right? And you have to write it off. The ASC, for instance, that performs that procedure, they also want to get paid. So if they find out that you use a product that could have uh, that was not paid, they're not going to get paid either. You have the other facility being upset as well. So being communicative, being very transparent with your patients, you know, making sure that they're aware too, when they sign off on that procedure, that you know upfront what is covered and what is not. And if your provider needs to change the product being used, you know, we want to make sure we're a, we're amenable to that, and and we're going to do the best with, for the patient's policy. They want it covered, and we want it covered. Because think about the physician, the practice, the facility. They have to pay for things with, outside of just getting reimbursed from the insurance. They have to pay for staffing. They have to pay for the facility. They have to pay for keeping the lights on. They have to pay for supplies. All the things that make the practice run, that payment from the insurance, many times may not cover everything. Um, so we need to be aware of all the financial um, ramifications of – letting a claim go out wrong even once can really delay the money needed to keep things going. So prior authorizations are a huge deal. We have to live within these guidelines. We just have to know they're not going to pay for anything unless if they have a policy on it, there's a reason. Usually they have cited references and best practices, clinical evidence-based information that they've used to come up with these policies. And they're just doing this proactively. They don't want to pay for anything if they feel like it may not be medically necessary or sufficient to cover what the patient needs. So they're going to be putting these policies out. So just make sure that they're, they're there. And, you know, you can appeal things. You, you can always appeal things later, but try not to appeal things routinely. Just like, Oh, I'll appeal it later. We don't want to have that attitude. We want to always put things put our best foot forward and keep things really smoothly. So there's the prior authorization stuff. Uh, but again, when it comes to that, you, you've done their due diligence, you know, there's a coverage guideline, and you know, it's it requires authorization now. So you're going to you have the coverage guidelines in place, you know, the codes, you're going to submit those to the insurance. And please, please, please don't just do the surface coding. Uh, sometimes your clinical staff is when we're in charge of doing prior authorizations. But I strongly recommend you surgical practices that have high volume, high dollar procedures. Please make sure you have someone who knows codes, understands the potential codes that could be used. Some of these reference sheets that are given to some staff members are outdated. They have the same sheet they've had for years with the codes on them and they just submit them. Oh, this is a shoulder scope. I always use this code. But from my experience in orthopedics, I will tell you, it's not always cut and dry. When they get in there, they may start out deciding to do one thing that they see other things that might need to be done. And they're not going to just close the patient up and say, oh, I'll have to wait and do this later because I'm unauthorized for it. They're going to go in and fix it. So we want to be proactive and we want to be aware of all the codes surrounding that area and what we may potentially need. So get the kitchen sink of code. It's not going to hurt anything to get it out there and get it approved and um, get it, get it ordered. Uh, and then we're going to be, of course, better off that way, to be proactive that way. So when the claim comes back, we can say, yes, we had it authorized. Always take down the name of the person if you talk to them on the phone um, or the reference number, and then also if you do online, make sure you write down any, any information that was given to you online when you got that authorization. Make all kinds of notes. Back yourself up. And if they require records, send them right away. Don't wait. And it's nice to have little references and and things handy so you know routinely, I know this needs authorized, have your EMR system or your practice management system updated regularly for certain codes that you know this requires authorization for this procedure and for this insurance. You can, some EMRs are very sophisticated and they can actually help you um, with that information. But we have other types of software like OncoSpark, of course, my favorite software I get to use every day is AuthParency. It's it's saved my life every day. AuthParency is great and it keeps us all accountable. It reminds us when we have to follow up on things. Follow up is really the one of the biggest problems is because we, we've done the authorization. Maybe we didn't follow up in time. The, the surgery is next week and we haven't verified that we have coverage yet or that we have authorization. We go ahead and do the surgery. Then we find out, oh, I didn't check on it in time and it wasn't approved yet. And then you have this problem. So... The patient would much rather like to know ahead of time that it's not approved yet and push it out. Now, if it's an emergency, it's an emergency. But if it's an elective procedure, like most of them are, that we do authorizations for, then most of the time we can wait. And because it's much better to not risk that denial or risk that writing off because the money is valuable. That money we get is valuable. It covers cost of so many things in the practice and the facility. So please do your diligence and do not let it go um, to the last second. Call every week, every two weeks, depending on how far out you are, things like that. And make sure the patient knows. Now, if there's indications that of course they feel, you feel like it may not be covered, but you're going to do it anyway, um, you can have them sign. If it's Medicare and ABN form, some of these waivers, these insurance companies have waiver forms where they will not let you bill the patient unless you have a signed form they understand. They have specific criteria. You cannot bill their patients um, to pay cash out of pocket for something unless it's non-cover and you have them sign this form. That's what you, they, they have policies on that. So make sure you're aware of that. The prioritization has been done, right? It's been great. And so I moved into that world next. I, I got to do that every day. I got this the orders from the surgeon and the medical staff. They would send me the procedures. Please send me back the codes applicable for the authorization. So I would do that. And it was great. It ran smoothly. They they trusted their coders, knew that job well, they could get the right codes and move on. And that was great, right? And we were very communicative. We told them, you know, this particular insurance requires authorization every time they come in. Of course, you know, I'm speaking about TRICARE, right? Or uh, the VA, I'm sorry, TriWest they want an authorization every time you come in for anything and you want to make sure to look at the dates right you got the dates right if you have to redo an authorization maybe the insurance will say okay new date you got to do it all over again or maybe they give you a range of dates and you're outside of that range do you know that do you know when you're required to submit a new authorization all of these things are important but you've done your due diligence and now you're ready to submit the claim, right? You've got the coding correct. You've referred to all those guidelines. Now you're working as a coder, but you're not just a coder, right? Because you know that even if someone else is entering the charge, you wanna do your due diligence and follow the coding guidelines, not just CPT, but also Medicare, because we know the Hicks Picks manual. Medicare has our own codes. In uh, CCI manual, we have to refer to the guidelines there. So whatever guideline we're following, we make sure we look at the payer that helps us decide. Some insurance companies may have specific modifiers that are unique to them from a billing standpoint. Maybe your billers know about those modifiers and you're going to just apply the surgical modifiers that you know have to be in there that are in your CPT codebook or your HCPCS level 2 codebook. You know that, right? So if you're working separately as a biller versus a coder, you just do your due diligence and you do your research. You make sure what you have given to that biller is above board. You have done all your research. You can stand behind those codes. You know the documentation. But if you're not sure, don't just guess. Please, please, please. Use your physicians. Use your office managers if you need to get in touch with them, to have them get in touch with your physicians for you. That They understand um, You know that you need their assistance. You need to clarify something before it goes out. Clarification proactively is, is very key. There are things that are in the documentation that are there that are justified but maybe you're new you're green and you don't know exactly what how to interpret this but you know it means something but you maybe need clarification so you're not going to ask them to change your documentation you're just going to ask them to clarify what this means and that's helpful that's how you learn that's how i learned There there are words in that documentation i didn't really know what they meant until i did so i had to ask questions had to research what does this mean if I can define the word, I can equate it to a code. And that's, that's it. The codes and the definition of, of CPT, what they to say is, is a certain thing, may not exactly be word for word what your physician documents, but it means the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just said differently, right? And that's possible because they go to medical school, they learn how to say things. The business side of, of medicine, the coding and the billing, they sometimes use different words that maybe don't translate to each other. So we just have to know how to interpret that. Anyway, so there goes that role, right? I'm just moving down the list here, guys. And I just really enjoyed that coding part. But I was a biller first. So I did enjoy working denials. I enjoyed that. That's how I learned. So whatever role you're in, whether you're doing billing first, and that's how you learn codes because you learn how they how they needed to be correct, or you're coding first and then you're dealing denials later. Know how important your role is, that you're not just a coder, you're not just a biller. You need to be aware of the full revenue cycle. What happens in the background? What happens if you key something wrong? For instance, as a biller, do you know the place of service? Do you know that you have to check orders when you're looking at that bill? Um, Maybe you're doing the coding and billing and you have to code an inpatient admission. But maybe you look and see that they were actually not seen by the provider in inpatient status At this time, at this time, they were in observation. So this visit was actually a different code. And so that place of service is not going to match up with that code. Same with, you know, your um, subsequent visits. If they were seen, you know, maybe a second time and they're still in observation, but then maybe the next day they were admitted. So you have to know those place of service codes, right? You have to know where the patient was physically uh, status wise um, in the hospital when the physician saw them. Those are things that billers have to know and coders because you can't code it right if you don't know that you can't put the right code in there if you don't know the status of the patient and the billers are going to get a kickback from from their side when they see that so they're going to come back to the coder and say, can you update this code they want to make now maybe just a simple cross but most facilities don't just let billers just change codes. Most of the time, they're going to have them go back to the coder to verify checks and balances. A certified coder has looked at this, and it's, it's appropriate, and then the biller can go ahead and process it. They can do their thing. They can watch for any errors that come across. And if it's a coding error, they can send it back to the, the coder to, to deal with. In my world, I was both for so many years. I was the biller and coder. So I had to code it. I had to bill it. I had to check for all of those things. I had to do appeals. And there was a time where we had the billing department would say, this needs a, do you agree this needs appeal? I would say yes. I would type up the appeal letter, send it back to the billers, and they would take care of that. Because every insurance, as we know, has a different policy as to how they want something submitted, right? Maybe they have different types of letter templates, or maybe they even have forms that are different uh, for different types of appeal levels. So we have to know those things, right? So it's important for us to understand those roles. And so on a very basic level, from the time I was a receptionist all the way until I was, you know, coding and billing, I, I learned a lot about the industry at that point. And that was, just in a, that was just in less than 10 years that I learned all that. And then, of course, I really love what I did. And I love my specialties. I was in orthopedics for many years, general surgery, GI. And I had my hands on other specialties from a billing nature, But then I was thinking, okay, I'm just not challenged enough. I want to learn more. So I would always reach out and ask for more work if other coders needed assistance and or billers that we were behind on things. And people got to know that I was the one they could rely on. They could come to if they needed extra help because I was always wanting to learn more. And I never shied away from a challenge. So that was one thing that helped me in my career. And at some point, I decided, you know, I want to give back and I want to, teach new coders, this new era of coders coming in and billers that that need to understand what I learned and how how I love this industry and I love what I learned. And it wasn't always easy. I made mistakes along the way and I learned from them and I'm still learning from them. But I, I encourage all of you out there to not just be too much pressure on yourself when you're first starting out. You're not going to know it all. And hopefully you managers out there, you physicians are patient with your staff You do need to train them because the industry is changing and you have those retiring. If you just look for those who are experienced by some nature, you're going to find you're running out of people because you're not training a new era of people to take over their jobs. What if they're sick? What if they get hit by a bus, God forbid? Or what if something happens to them and they can't come to work? Do you have someone that can do their job? These are things that we want to think about. And then you can also think about outsourcing. So there are lots of sort of like coders that work for companies that are outsourced in the United States and offshore. So you can have different places you can go to. You can do your research, um, find out uh, which companies are out there you can trust and that you can rely on that have quality people. Now as the education director of OncoSpark, um, I of course feel very, very pleased and, and proud to be part of an organization that, that is proactive and really tries to help practices succeed. We have qualified coders and billers and prior authorization staff. Like we try to make sure if a practice is truly in need and they can't find the staff they need, we have people to facilitate that. And so if you are a company like that, make sure that you are being that advocate for your physicians and the practices, they don't feel alone, they have someone to come to if they need they need assistance even if it's just temporary, right? They maybe want someone in in house, but they just need that filler until they can find someone. Right. And we want to be that for them. We want to help them continue the revenue cycle, keep the money coming in so they can stay open, keep the doors open. That's what it's all about. And so then I went to education. I thought, I want to teach people how to be good coders. I learned from some amazing mentors, um, Susan, a lady named Susan was my mentor and she was amazing. And she was a nurse and she taught me how to code um, E&Ms from just scribbles that I, that I saw from these physicians. I learned how to audit neurosurgery charts before we had EMRs and it was fun. I got to, to kind of really dig in and look at the records and learn how to code from that. And that taught me a lot, taught me what to look for and it taught me what was inappropriate documentation, what what was, what was could be effective. And so I as a mentor, I really looked back on her and she taught me in a way that made sense. It wasn't just that lingo that just so uh, wordy and, and bureaucratic and legal. And I just like, my brain just couldn't commute some of those terms. And so the way she explained it, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. And so when I teach, I always use that same methodology. How can I make someone who's brand new to understand this concept, understand it. How do we break it down in small steps so they can say, okay, this means this, and this means this. Let's put it together. How do I put this whole situation together and understand it? Step by step, and then we put it together It's a puzzle. When you're done with the puzzle, it makes a beautiful image. It makes a beautiful, clean claim, and you know, you've done it right. So that's the way I teach. And so I wanted to teach evaluation and management. I wanted to teach surgery coding. Surgery coding is my love. I love surgery coding. I love all the intricacies. I love reading op notes and, and trying to figure out, you know, what the approach was. I love trying to figure out what the indications were Does it support medical necessity. What else can I get the physician paid for? Because many times... If you have a physician doing your coding and you have you don't have a certified code or someone that knows coding doesn't be certified, but if they don't if they know coding, maybe they're just not sure if they can build something else. So really digging and understanding what other options for codes are out there because there are a lot of opportunities for coding and edge reimbursement that are just missed, missed opportunities we call them, you know, documentation that over time you see 30, 40 patients a day, and if you're missing opportunities you know, that's a lot of revenue. Not that every patient's going to have a missed opportunity, but there may be times where you you can capture additional wording and maybe you did do it, but you didn't put enough in the note to justify that code. But learning that, learning what is the options you have and how do we document, how do we say this in a way that the insurance company, whoever's looking at that note, they're going to see it and they're going to understand it. They're going to clearly see that you did this, but you also did this. Words like I made a separate incision. This is a separate lesion, Um, separate injury, things that can get us additional codes that would normally be bundled. Do we understand what wording needs to be there? So I decided after this, I wanted to keep teaching, but I also wanted to consult. I wanted to get into helping physicians understand um, how we can be their advocate and also helping practices who are struggling understand how they can be better. Uh, And usually when that happens, it comes in through auditing. So it's always a proactive approach. Every industry I've ever been in or heard of has an auditing system. Everyone audits, whatever industry you're in, right? So I thought, well, this has to happen. I have to figure out a way to audit. Uh, I wanna be an auditor. So I went for my certified professional medical auditor license and I got that. And that was was nice to have. And then I got into actually auditing when I came into OncoSpark. And so it was a great, a great uh, way to use the auditing skills I had at the hospital and now working for a private company, helping practices all over the country be successful and find out what their data tells them and how they can use our data to, to bring in more money. It's, it's, it tells you the story of what, what you're doing, what you need to do, and what your future is. And so I, I love doing that. And so I still, of course, I'm always looking for opportunities, things I want to grow um, in my career. I've done a lot, but there's still more I want to do. So if you have that bug, you have that vibe, or you want to keep learning and keep growing, I encourage you to keep thinking about other areas in the revenue cycle that you can excel at, you can learn more about. It's not just about billing or coding. It's also documentation. Um, it's the patient care, being a patient advocate. Do you really care enough to know that every single thing you do, every decision you make affects a real person, right? affects a real patient behind that chart, and everything you do affects them whether you key a wrong digit, you give them a malignancy versus a benign tumor. I mean, how crazy is that? Just the one wrong keystroke can really change a patient's medical future. So you really want to be cognizant of your job and how important it is. Make sure you're not making these errors routinely. And if you do make an error, you fix it, right? You you make sure that you do your due diligence. That's what audits are for, right? And that's what we do. We try to Find a way to um, be transparent. Our organization has internal audits. We have external audits. We do all we can to be above board, right? Documentation shows the support of the codes we're billing. At the end of the day, that's what we do. It's the right thing to do. We don't want to bill things we didn't do. We want to make sure we're always checking that we're above board, right? So being above board is part of being compliant. Compliance is, is important. And it's another love of mine. I love compliance. I love doing things the right way. And so now that I'm at this kind of come full circle, I've, I've done almost every role in the business side. My next goal, of course, I want to be an expert witness. How many of you out there have that vibe or that, that goal? You think about, you know, when you go um, have a case that goes to trial, do you have enough knowledge where you can stand behind that that seat there and you can tell that prosecutor or, or whoever that you, you have this medical opinion. I think of like lawyer shows I used to I watch and we had an expert witness come in uh, to talk maybe on the defense side or on the prosecution side and they were giving their expert opinion or expert um, advice on what they know about this this situation. And in the medical world, that's what we do. If it's a certain you know uh, case involved and we have to provide that backup, um, we know from our knowledge In this industry, this is right and this is wrong. This is what the guidelines say. These are the regulations. Can we justify that this was correct? What do we know about the situation? And so using our knowledge in that way, further um, clarifying that and making it apparent to uh, in that situation makes me feel like I've done something so great. Um, Now helping um, in a different way, um, being useful in a different uh, way in the industry. So that's my goal for the future. Who knows, right? But I'm always learning. I'm always growing. And I encourage whatever role you're in, understand the role of others. Understand how every single person in the clinic, the facility, wherever they work in healthcare, they're all valuable. We all have a role to play. And I want to speak specifically to you front office staff one last time before we go today. And I want to thank you for all that you do. I was in your position at one point in my life, and I feel like it was the best thing I ever did was start out in the registration process. And I think it gave me a good foundation. And when I got to the coding world, I felt more comfortable. I knew what they were going through, and I knew the information I needed was accurate because I could trust that um, the registration process was done. And so that is something really important to to just own your position, know how important you are. You're the first person that that patient sees or talks to. And what you can do for the practice is just so amazing. You can bring in these patients and help them feel comfortable with their practice, help them feel comfortable with the physician you work with and help them see that you are in the right place. This is the the office that they want to be at. They're going to be taken care of. And you're going to make sure they have a pleasant experience. So, thank you again for listening today to the Life is a Coder podcast. We always enjoy having our listeners give us feedback. So, please give us feedback. Leave me a voice message uh, on our anchor app. Let us know what questions you have. It might end up on a future show. So, I wanna thank you, all of you. And of course, I wanna shout out to our amazing producer, Gabriel Fast with Highland Productions. Thank you for all that you do for the Life is a Coder podcast. And until next time, guys. Thanks for joining the Life as a Coder podcast. Please feel free to rate or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other healthcare professionals just like you. Join us next Wednesday for another episode. We'll catch you then.